Iowa everywhere. We recommend listening to the CW Pod with a glass of Steeple Ridge bourbon. Mm. Grown, distilled, well-rested, and bottled in Erling, Iowa. Now, from the Channel Seed Studios, this is the CW Pod, fueled by Steeple Ridge. Hello, welcome to this week's show. Appreciate Scott Docterman from The Athletic hopping on with me, and we are going to talk some college football, some of these hot storylines that are developing as we lead into the offseason. I do want to thank our incredible sponsor, Steeple Ridge Bourbon, right here. Scott, I'm gonna, I got one of these for you, my friend. This is an Iowa Everywhere barrel. See, it's got the Iowa Everywhere etched on the label. Yes, I have one for you next time I see you. I've got one of these for you. How are you, buddy? Welcome That's, back from Florida. That looks amazing. I'm doing, yeah, happy new year. It's uh, good to be back in Iowa and see a little snow on the ground. It's uh, not too bad. And uh, here we are in early January. I always feel like we're stealing time whenever you get to this point and it's not, you know, minus five and snow up yeah. here uh, uh, midsection. Yeah. yeah, it's coming. I heard you, uh, I saw on Twitter that you had airport problems. I have I apologize for that. That that sucks. That Orlando airport is just a cesspool, especially after a holiday. It's like nobody wants any piece of that thing with all the like strollers. And it's just crazy. It was a nightmare. And uh, <laughs> it's really I, I almost feel like Chad did the right thing, which was uh, just drive. <laughs> you know, I eventually did get back. I got back late afternoon. But really, you know, and here's here's the key that I think people should know is. If you have issues with an airline, the best way to get a hold of them a lot of times is to tweet at them. And it's not because I had all these people jumping on and giving me great advice, but it's because then they, they're very responsive to that. And they said, OK, slip us a DM and we'll get this going. And, and uh, they were able to get it fixed. Yeah. Then I was able to get on a flight to Chicago at 1030. And then and they're oh, by the way, we're full at the 231 to Cedar Rapids. But, they're you know, get on standby and otherwise you're on at 830 at night. And I'm like, OK. And I got on standby and I was home by uh, 430 or five. In the afternoon. That's a good tip. Yeah. yeah, I didn't I didn't necessarily know that. I'm always the old school guy that's trying to do it via the yeah. phone or the desk. But that's a bad move that time of year for sure. All right, brother, a lot to get to. I really don't want to do any sort of a recap of the of the bowl game because we all watched it and you know it's very similar to what we've been talking about. Um you I just got done reading your your latest column for the athletic, it's which is where you can read Scott's work. You didn't know already, of course, Scott and uh, Chad Leistico do the Legends and Listeners podcast here on Iowa. Everywhere, each and every week, they do a great job. The, this this offensive coordinator hire, here's where I get stuck. It, it, does it matter? And, and when I say that, I'm, I'm not trying to be a, a jerk here. Uh, my, I guess is like what, let's say... I keep throwing out there as a joke to people, bring in Dana Holgerson. He's an Iowa guy. Like, right. Like clearly that would not be a hire that Kirk Ferentz would make. But if Dana Holgerson was hired as Iowa's offensive coordinator, would, would Kirk Ferentz let Dana Holgerson be Dana Holgerson? And, and that's where I kind of come with this. It's like how much of the last couple of years was Brian Ferentz? How much of it was, you know, from the top? 
How much does this hire matter when it comes to that as far as letting this guy come in and, and do whatever he's going to do? I look at the last handful of years, last couple of years in particular, is kind of like a three-legged stool of problems for Iowa. One is schematic. One is the Ferences. And the other is the, the players. Um, and I think it's they all are culpable, meaning that the player, the talent hasn't been good enough. Yeah. And then there's been injuries and and that sometimes even takes up a bigger piece of the of the stool. But um, the, the Ferences sometimes get in their own way, Brian and Kirk. And then I think that the scheme itself is is ancient. And it needs a lot of work. It needs a lot of work, especially in the passing game. I think the running game is okay with better execution, but the, you know the running and passing games go hand in hand. So you need to have somebody who's capable of calling good passing routes and structures in order to allow the running game to work. And and I think uh, Kirk is going to have his hand in it. I mean, it's in his program for 25 years. He's had a lot of success. People that want him out and want him fired take a step back. I mean, it's a 10 win team. Do you want to be Nebraska after firing Bo Pelini? Uh, I don't think you do. I mean, for all these years, Iowa fans have made fun of Nebraska for, Oh, you, all you did was fire yeah. somebody who had one, nine or 10 games. Well, you'd be doing the same thing except 10 times worse because he's a, a legacy hire and legacy coach. So I think uh, what he needs to do and what I think works is hire somebody who believes in similar a similar and shared philosophy on offensive football. And so that's like they're not going to just implode the house and start from the, the foundation up. They're going to leave the foundation there. But you can do what you want as far as uh, taking down the, the rooms, um, you know, building um, you know, painting the walls, all that sort of thing. It's just the bones of the house will still be there, which is why I look at, you know, just somebody like Paul Christ, who was at Wisconsin, ran, ran the ball 60% of the time, very successful there, had better passing schemes. In fact, that's the reason why I went 4-2-5 is because Wisconsin's three receiver set decimated them in a, in a late game loss. And, and so, he can develop the passing game out of this. The running game is just a matter of execution, more or less. So, but and Kirk would have a lot of respect for somebody like that. But if you bring in somebody who has a different type of philosophy, say a Dana Holgerson or somebody who's, you know, hey, they've been in the Sun Belt and and uh, they run the the spread or the air raid, Kirk's going to try to pull that back a yeah. lot. If somebody already has that philosophy, then he'll probably stand back and let them work their, you know, work their system. Feels like Chris would be just a perfect, perfect in my mind, just because yeah. I, because I'm with you. Like that's why I keep joking about the Holgerson thing, and, and everybody knows I'm an air raid enthusiast. Like, if you're not mm -hmm. running the air raid, I think you suck. That's just kind of <laughs> kidding, obviously. But like Chris just feels like a guy too, where. He could just sit in that room, and he has Kirk Ferentz's ultimate respect on day one. Not that, you know, some of these other guys wouldn't, but Chris has beaten Kirk Ferentz before, right? Like, there's just that – there's so much knowledge of one another. To me, that, that just seems – like, and it's not like – so I have a little bit of an experience in something like this when Paul Rhodes brought in Mark Mangino – well, the problem there was that Mark Mangino came in on day one and thought that he was smarter and better than Paul Rhodes. And in that, and they butt heads very quickly 
you know, because of that, and it was a disaster. Like to me, I mean, it'd be hard to draw up a more. You know, I again, like I think if I'm an Iowa fan, I could be like, yeah, I want something a little bit different. Those guys are very similar, but I completely agree with you that if you if you go too far, then you lose this identity. It just feels like Chris could really be maybe the you know. Phil Parker on on that side of the ball. Not that he's going to have that su- type of success, but man, he he will own that room when he walks in it. Yeah, he's what sixty seven and twenty six as a head coach at Wisconsin. When he, when he's won five out of eight matchups, five out of seven when he was at Wisconsin against Kirk, uh, they ran the ball with great effectiveness. There was one year I think they averaged thirty four points a game, um, and in this part of the world. You got to be a little bit different, and they fill they fill that vacuum that's been voided, especially by uh, Wisconsin, by the Wisconsin style of play. They wanted Absolutely. to go something different. Somebody has to fill that, and if you can hammer it and play, you know. It, it, but it's also there, there's a lot of work to do within this offense. I mean, it's not just going to be hey, he draws up better patterns and automatically no. it's going to be there. I mean, they they're going to need somebody to emerge at wide receiver, probably a couple of players to emerge there. They're going to need better pass protection of obviously quarterback play. It was, it was atrocious all year and atrocious for the first three quarters against Tennessee. So, you know, that, that all, you know, that's something we'll obviously talk about and discuss probably every week this off season. Cause it is, it's a topic that everybody wants to revisit. We'll see. Um, do you have a timetable? Do you, do, when do you think that'll be done? Yeah, he, Kirk said first. You know, he hopes to identify kind of the the guy by maybe the second week and have him hired by the third okay. of, of January. So maybe within two weeks. The one thing I sitting back and watching Iowa the last two years that I have been really impressed by is, man, like if you're on that defense or if you're um, one of those key special teams guys to like. I was reading your quotes, uh, your Kirk Ferentz quotes in your in your latest about, you know, when he's looking for the offensive coordinator, they got to know the team philosophy and the team first and all this stuff. It really is impressive that these defensive guys aren't at least just slipping up a little bit to the media and showing frustration, right? Like it does. I, I, I think Kirk and, you know, his staff deserve a lot of credit for that because it – Maybe the two worst offenses in college football history at, at Iowa the last two years, and this 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 elite defense and a really good special teams unit, and you haven't heard a chirp publicly of frustration, which is really impressive in 2024. No question. Yeah, I mean, the way that they've been able to keep themselves together. I thought last year when they were at Ohio State and they got bombed because it was the de- – it was the – offense that killed them i mean they had a pick six they had six turnovers inside their own 40 um and they were three and four at that point i'm like you know they didn't you know their only touchdown was scored on the defense it it was just to me at that point it was like man this thing's gonna fall apart but to their credit they this is probably the one thing that they do the best is identify players at the beginning of their careers in recruiting that that can handle that kind of adversity and and play hard and, and play through it and when you have they've had amazing leaders from you know jack campbell and sam laporta last year uh, this year, Joe Evans and, and Jay Higgins and and guys who are are able to withstand that. And if you had me first, guys, 
it would be very, very difficult. But, you know, and I'll still say this, that I do know, you know, there are some, there is some frustration and probably a lot of it even more so from the offensive players Yeah, you have to go through this, but it's natural. Yeah. And, uh, but so they sure don't what, lead it on to, no. if you're not in that, in that bubble there, like it, it's, I was just watching like all the post game stuff and it's just like, man, like these guys just one embarrassing performance after another. And Higgins is on there saying all the right things. And you know, like it's, it's impressive, especially when you're dealing with young people, not to seem like the old guy in the room, but yeah. we want to tweet everything. We want to, and Kirk's got that thing locked down. All right. Um, we are in the Channel Seed Studios, of course, presented by our friends at the Lonely Oak Distillery. Go and pick up yourself a bottle of Steeple Ridge bourbon today. I wanted to talk some big time. This is the main reason I had you on here today, Scott, is to hammer some of these bigger college football conversations. Specifically, you and me are both realignment junkies. Florida State is challenging the ACC in a grant of rights, which has never been done before, at least publicly, like, like they're doing it. I'm sure other schools have had lawyers look over this thing before. I am really interested in this because, you know, depending on how this thing goes, you know, the Big 12, you know, I'm a Big 12 guy. It feels like they would be in line to get some leftovers here, a little bit like they did with the Pac-12. And I, I don't know, like the Big 10 and the SEC can say whatever they want about being – happy and all that stuff. But if North Carolina and Virginia are on the, you know, if they're out there walking the walk and I, I would have a hard time believing that the big 10 would, would back off of those schools. This just feels like a seminal moment in the future of college football to me where, you know, we could be setting ourselves up here for these three leagues and those are going to be the leagues that pay the guys. And then everybody else is going to be in the background playing you know, a, a different level of some sort. So what are you thinking on this? This is a grand question, I know, but Florida State challenging a grant of rights, man. We, we've we talked about these scenarios. Now it's actually happened. What's your vibe on this? Yeah, we've reached another inflection point on the sport, and it's, it is a true crossroads moment because we already lost one great conference, one of the, the historic conferences in the Pac-12, uh, disintegrating and and now the potential for another uh, you know maybe it doesn't go completely under but it'll change radically if, if Florida State is successful because uh, a lot like the Big Ten I think probably more like the Big Ten than any of the other leagues the ACC has a, a definite split in football versus maybe non-football or where football is really important versus where football is kind of important. Mm -hmm. um, and so if Florida State goes, you, you've got to look at the dominoes. First of all, where would Florida State end up? Would the SEC want them with Florida there? Would Florida say this would take away some of our abilities to recruit or be special or whatever? Or was that even though they don't have they're not an AAU member with the Big Ten look at it and go, hmm, you know, we can get into into Florida and add something there. And then the next question is, would that be the moment that Notre Dame says it's time to go to a conference, which is always the, the million-dollar question, billion-dollar question. I wonder, too, it doesn't feel like Florida State would be happy with this outcome, but I, but I almost wonder with Brett Yormark as well, 
if he gets in Florida State, Miami, and whoever, whoever these TV guys are in the ACC, and and offers them, we're 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 we are in. I I, I truly truly believe that unequal revenue sharing is going to be a thing of our future in this sport, unless we have, you know, the 60 team thing and there's a commissioner and they're not affiliated with the schools anymore. They're club teams. Then it changes everything. And then it's more of like a professional sports model. But I don't, I don't think this is likely, but like in your scenario, let's say those two sit tight. Like I could see your mark doing something crazy and I, and I don't know exactly what that is, but he tells them, you know, he is a different type of aggressor that I've ever. Now you've been mm-hmm. around Jim Delaney a lot, so you 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 get this type. But I don't think your mark really cares about like the history, and I, he doesn't. I don't. He doesn't come across to me as a guy who really gives a crap about AAU status and stuff like that. He's there to make revenue, and I I could see. He was a huge reason why the Pac-12, you know, floundered like it did. And I just, I'm just curious. I don't know anything, but what his moves are right now with all this, especially with all these basketball schools. Maybe it's not Florida State, but the Big 12 would be very happy with picking off Louisville and, you know, maybe Pitt. You know, these types of teams with these these proud. Where's Duke going, right? Like, you tell me Brett Yormark wouldn't be salivating to get them if he possibly could. So I just, again, like the SEC and the Big Ten, they have the luxury to just kind of sit back and wait and see where things goes. Where I, I could, Yormark's probably sticking his nose in there right now and, and making people uncomfortable is the vibe that I get. Sure. And, and he can be a visionary. I mean, when you've got the two fat cats, with uh, the Big Ten and the SEC, they're able to kind of dictate what they want, and and those schools will. Yeah, um, they'll always get they, it. <laughs> yeah, right. If they want Florida State, they'll get Florida State. If they, yeah. you know, Notre, Notre Dame's been the one, you know, that's always gotten away, but at some point it's going to have to swim somewhere if, if everything breaks up the ACC. However, you know, I look at, at that league, and, and there's it's such a big league, you know, where you have 14, well, 15 counting Notre Dame, but members that there's an opportunity there for a split, like three or four go one place, four go another, and then the rest stay together in some sort of fashion. And, you know, Duke and Wake Forest and, you know, but, but there is a true split in that league over, like, importance. And it's a weird level because you have – FSU and Clemson and Virginia Tech, which are kind of, you know, football titans. You've got, um, you know, NC and Duke and Virginia, which are academic powers. Uh, you've got, you know, Boston College way out of there. You got Miami, which is kind of the 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 tease of college sports for all these years. Um, yeah. You know, does FSU and Miami say, you know, if you're Brett Yarmark, you go to both of them. You know, hey, we, you know, you're in Florida. You're also I, with UCF, and phew, that'd be great. It reminds me of the Pac-12 deal because, yeah. right, this all starts with the the schools going to the Big Ten, and and then the league starts to get there's this upheaval within it. Like, what's next, right? And that's when your mark astutely goes to these four corner schools and says, "Hey, this thing's gonna blow up. You guys need a home." And it just got them all amped up. And and now we're watching this this Pac-12. They've got a team playing for a championship. 
Like, what a comeback by the Pac-12, right? Like, I don't think that's probably been talked about enough. Like, how powerful this league... And it sucks, man. Like, this mm-hmm. whole thing sucks. I don't want people to listen to this and be like, oh, Williams is cheering this on. I don't want the ACC to implode. Like, I I hate this. Like, I'm old school. Give me the big eight, mm-hmm. right? I like being able to drive to road games, that type of deal. But I'm also realistic, and I'm just... I'm looking at this. I just don't see long-term how the ACC is, is viable... And well, they've got their deal for the next 10 years or whatever. But like, if we're already doing this now, you think Florida, they're, they're going to, they're going to destroy that league. I, mm-hmm. I, 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 can just, I can tell you that right now. Like, I, I don't know when, maybe it's in five years, maybe it's in 10, but this, this is this thing. I just, from where I sit, I don't, I don't see how it's viable long-term. Right. And, and then you start to analyze where are the piece is going to end up, where are they going to go? I mean, where does Florida state go? I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of like probably for them, sec is the preferred location. If not, the big 10 would be. And then if not, Hey, all options are on the table. And, and, uh, and then you look at, you know, like North Carolina, Virginia, best fit in the big 10 academically, but North Carolina might be better in the SEC socially. I think that is the one school where the leagues will fight over, and they really haven't fought over anybody, those two leagues. And then there's Notre Dame. At what point does Notre Dame say, uh, we, we need some stability and They're a here. Big Ten school, right? Like they're, yeah. they're not going to the SEC. Right, and they've been approached numerous times, you know, and yet they're here. That would be the, the best fit for them for a lot of reasons. And, you know, some of the comments that Brian Kelly has made a couple of times this year about, you know, football needs to be, um, you know, almost like district, like district football in Iowa, you know, for the high schools. I look at it differently. You know, football, it should be treated differently. I would almost prefer, hey, go back to the old school for all the other leagues, you know, have the Pac-12 for for softball and basketball and and have, uh, you know, the old Big Ten for all these other things and then football just do whatever it wants to do. Yeah, I think that's probably the best route rather than try to make football some sort of, you know, because the leagues are too powerful. They're not going to concede any of this type of energy to and and money and and prestige to some central body unless they maintain their their place in the world. And to me, like that's the grand problem of the sport. And when I say problem of the sport, don't don't mix that up with me thinking the sport is dying because it's not. Twenty seven million people watch the Rose Bowl. Okay, mm-hmm. ten million people watch that pathetic Orange Bowl. The other day, like the yeah. sport is not dying. The sport is very healthy. More people watch college football this year than any other uh, year in, in history. So it's it's not dying, but it's evolving, and we got to make really good decisions. And this has been my my always been my problem with it, Scott. Is nobody makes decisions for the good of the sport, right? The SEC is always looking out for the SEC. Like Brett Yormark didn't go and break up the Pac-12 because, you know. He did it for the greater of the sport. Like, no, that's that's not that's not what happened. Um, and then, like the Rose Bowl, like I like to give people at the Rose Bowl a hard time. Like, well, why were they fighting a playoff for his? Because they were looking out for themselves. They knew that, right? Like, so if if we get to this point, let, give me a, I'm gonna give you a hypothetical. We have three leagues of sixty teams total. Okay, so twenty, twenty, and twenty. It's the ACC's done. Big Twelve gets the scraps. Um, Big Ten and SEC grow at that point, and let's say we're paying the players out of the university, like the the whole Ohio court case dictated, or Virgin, West Virginia. I'm sorry. At that point, would if we're all like these club teams and we're 
It's still college football like the fans know it. Would we have a commissioner in that theory? Like, would would the SEC finally give up? Like, would would the SEC and the Big Ten ever be like, okay, like, this is for the good of the sport. We're going to have a centralized figure to cut television contract. Will we ever get there, or is this just the way it's going to be where we're just constantly finagling television contracts and, and stuff like that? I don't think any kind of commissioner will ever be able to oversee the the revenue structure for each individual league. I just think they're too powerful in, you know, as entities. The Big Ten's not going to concede one inch and say, oh, yeah, we think Iowa and Iowa State should be paid the same. You know, they're not going to do that. Yeah. But but what needs to happen, and which I think eventually will happen, is the the Division One football, you know, FBS football, and then autonomy football will have its own governance structure with with a commissioner that handles governance issues, streamlines rules, whether that's on recruiting or the transfer portal, or changes all kinds of those types of things. But when it comes to money, team switching or school switching leagues, that sort of thing, I just don't see anybody being able to to stand on top and be Roger Goodell and yeah. And, and, yeah, hand and right. say, no, you can't do that. I mean, the SEC and Big Ten have far too much power. I mean, you know, what we're witnessing, and this is, you know, it may sound a little hyperbolic, it, I, but as a history minor, almost major, t- double major, is this almost would remind me of what would happen if, this, if the country split up in the 1860s and how each individual state region would fight with one another over territory over prominent different you know economic situations so you know you know not, not to not to bring in the the central topic i won't even touch that but 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 literally i mean you've got you know the the northeast and midwest on one side you've got the great plains that's kind of uh, t- taken over the West Coast, and then the West Coast's riches went in another place, and you've got the Southeast that's powerful, and Texas is joined. I mean, it's it's really a fascinating development. Okay, I had two other questions on this. One, at what point does does like our our old rules of the SEC not matter anymore? So, like that, Greg Sankey can say, "I'm sorry, Florida." Like, we have this great opportunity to add this piece, and we don't want the Big Ten to get it. Like, you guys are just going to have to deal with it. And same with you, South Carolina. Like, we're bringing in your arch rival, Clemson. It's a no-brainer for us as an institution being the SEC. Uh, Because that has been a long thing with the SEC. I remember back when the Big 12 missile crisis started and all that stuff. And then then Texas A&M, it was kind of like, oh, you guys are the new guys. You don't count. We can bring in Texas because it's the biggest brand in college football. At what point does that not matter anymore? Now, uh, I mean, after yeah, I think I, te- I think Texas A&M can throw it in their face. I think Texas A&M can say, "You voted for this against us, and really hurt our ability to not only recruit but tell everybody we are the SEC school of of this part of the world by adding not only Texas but Oklahoma." And and now you expect us to sit by and say, well, yeah, we're not going to add these two big major properties um, that could enhance us, you know, financially and on the field. I think, uh, and I think they would lose dramatically. I think Florida and South Carolina, South Carolina has only, has only been in the league a little over 30 years. I mean, come on, you know, and they're the, they're the low end here. Are you going to keep Clemson out if you're South Carolina? I just don't buy it. Okay. Here's my other one. And I, I look at this from a media guy standpoint. 
because there's only so much money and we'll we'll learn more about you know where this thing is going like are they going to have with these TV numbers that I'm reading off like you, you you can envision rights continuing to go up you're going to have we still have to figure out the bidding on the 12 team playoff all that stuff so there's going to be more money my my question is at some point let's say this bubble not burst cuz I don't I don't buy that there's going to be value here but at some point there might be Scott, where the only way you can make more money is by cutting teams. Okay. Do you see a scenario at all where either by their choice or like where the Big Ten could be like, you know what? I'm sorry, Indiana and Purdue. Like we we're, we can only keep one of you. Or like that seems far fetched. What seems more possible to me is in this new deal where everybody's got to make 30000 or whatever they come up with. That's all in the courts. Or Northwestern and Wake Forest and Duke and Stanford are like, you know what? Screw this. We're out. Like, we're going to go and do our own. Because we, we, we're we here for academics. That's why we exist. And we're not going to be – we're, we're just going to go and start our own deal. And it's less about the money in football. We're going to compete in basketball at a high level. Duke's always going to have a home. Brett Yormark said he'd take us as a one-off in the Big 12. Do you see it, any scenario like where some of these schools are just like, you know what, we're good, thanks? Sure, I think anything is possible at this point, and I and I don't think that any of it is is so far fetched that you can't entertain the the thoughts because so much has changed that you don't know the trajectory of this. And maybe five years ago, my trajectory would be different than it was it is today because of what happened with the Pac-12, and and these schools that have an idea of wanting to. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, form a super league, that, that's certainly possible that, you know, maybe dissolve the SEC and Big Ten and, and, and Big 12 ACC and form a super league. And, you know, there's been all the comparisons with the Premier League and the, and the relegations and what have you. And, I, you know, that, that's also possible. I don't see the Big Ten, for instance, because it's been in existence since 1896, pushing – teams out based on their lack of success. But I think kind of going back to one of your original points, what I could see is a revenue model that rewards teams that have more success. Yeah. Cause that's the thing. It's like, at some point, will an Ohio state be like, listen, like, <laughs> yeah, we, we value the conference, been a member for a really long time. We all hate the sec. But, I mean, Northwestern shouldn't be getting as much money as we are. I mean, you're seeing it right now in the ACC, right? Like, mm -hmm. they were all kumbaya when Swafford made that deal for till 2030. We all thought he was a genius. Ah, mm -hmm. long-term security. Well, now Florida State's out there trying to compete with Georgia. And, you know, Wake Forest is basically just treading water over in the corner, right? Like, it, it's just different now. Mm -hmm. And there's a different shared level of history. I mean, Florida State had had its choice between the SEC and ACC and chose the ACC simply because of competitive measures, because yeah. they could win that league and put themselves in position to win national titles. Which and, is a good move looking back. Sure. Yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Built their brand that way. Exactly. But as far as, you know, securing more revenue, that that's when things have changed over the last 20 to 25 years when it comes to that. And that's why they're looking at it from a different angle now than what we saw back way back when. Um, and, you know, the Big Ten, again, has been around so much longer. I mean, the ACC was formed in 1953. And even Virginia wasn't a charter member. 
Virginia came by, it was between Virginia, uh, Virginia Tech and West Virginia for the last spot. And they ended up wow. going with Virginia. Um uh, and South Carolina was in it at that point. Um, and then they vacated because of scholarship issues, numbers of scholarships and that sort of thing. So those, all those things have to be worked out. I just, I guess right now, um, you know, like the big 10, I, I wrote about this a while ago, way back when, you know, I think even before, uh, A and M left and Nebraska left the big 12 was the big 12's philosophy was more like major league baseball where it was based on national tv appearances amount yeah. of revenue the big 10 was based more like the nfl everybody gets a share and in the big 10 what's really fascinating is uh, they you get up to 35 percent of a home gate is shared and cycled through the whole uh, league up to a million dollars per game you know so like because penn state walked into the league and went what are you kidding me? You know, we got to share our revenue with Indiana and, and Northwestern that gets 20,000 and we get a hundred thousand and we got it. So they capped it. And then they also have a floor at $300,000. So, you know, they've been so collective over the years. Um, I anticipate that continuing, but I do think that the revenue model may change a little bit, maybe on the next uh, TV cycle when Oregon and when Washington come vested members. That's right. I just, I think that your mark will make, Listen, I don't think Florida State, Clemson end up in the Big 12. I think it's very far-fetched that that happens. But knowing this, your mark, he's going to do, I promise you, he's going to do something to make them think about it. Yeah. <laughs> if it's some radical, because he's got to make a splat. Like, they're already fighting, are they a power league? They're already fighting this perception. And that's why I think, too, like, there, there's part of me that thinks, I don't think Texas is. There's part of me that thinks may, Oklahoma's making a big mistake. Because I think that they could have, you know, flourished in this league and gone to playoffs and hosted playoff games and probably dictated the, you know, pretty radical TV revenue deal with with your mark at that time when they were the sitting duck, right? Mm -hmm. Texas, it's I feel like Texas is going to be really good in the SEC. So I don't I don't know, but like there's part of me that's like. You know, what you referenced with Florida State back in the ACC in the day, it's like, that's a really smart move with these automatic playoffs. And, like, if you can get your revenue up and you're the big dog in this conference and you you can dictate a lot of things, I don't know. I And, again, I come from where I've covered the Big 12 forever where it was Nebraska and Texas just telling everybody what to do, and they would do it. Mm -hmm. And um, that was just kind of the era I grew up in watching this thing where it was like you looked over at the Big Ten and you're like, oh, that's nice. They're all holding hands. They're not it's mm -hmm. not a family, you know, fighting with each other every Christmas like I like I grew up watching. So mm -hmm. I fascinating deal. Uh, I could talk to you about this for two hours. I love the fact that you just let me kind of like bloviate and my mind just blow. And then you you come back at me with facts. So this is this is a good uh, I have a feeling, though, Scott, well, it's going to be an active offseason, though, with this Florida State thing. Like, to me, it's – it of all these realignment stories and stuff, this is the biggest one because these grant of rights have never been – there's never been a crack in them. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, if, like, these lawyers can figure it out, it's like, what's next? Yeah. I mean, I think there's the hidden parts, you know. I think the – what is it that ESPN doesn't have to pay I, – I don't know the specifics of this, and so I hate bringing it up, but I think after 2027, 20, 20, uh, 
that there's an issue regarding payment with ESPN and the ACC, which could give Florida State it in to kind of wedge in there and break off. And if that happens, you're talking three years down the road and, uh, and then it's going to be everybody for themselves. And, that's going to be you, real fascinating. And we, I've seen it firsthand. Once one of these schools talks about how unhappy they are, the whole thing fractures because then everybody else starts to, they're stabbing each other in the back. They're, I've, again, I've, just, I've seen it firsthand in a very similar scenario where Texas mm-hmm. just had so much influence over the rest of that league. And you've got allies in one corner, and then these people are going to stab these people in the back. And the ACC's toast. I, I just truly, mm. truly believe it. In five years, there's no way that league is is a thing. But I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I hope you I'm know, wrong. You know, if there's one move that I think could have reversed a lot of this and stabilized a bunch of college sports. I mean, there's two, obviously. But, but I'm going to go to one that's a little bit different. And that is, had the Big 12 and – come to an agreement with Arkansas back in the eighties, which was Mm. widely discussed. It was actually discussed in the seventies, but it came, it it almost happened in the eighties, but the big eight was so interested in pushing out Kansas state before Snyder got there and just staying the big eight that it really refused any kind of negotiations with Arkansas, but had Arkansas come even at, and then you throw on Texas, Texas A&M and Texas tech, then you have enough heavyweights to balance against Texas and Nebraska, which really kind of, you know, shrug, you know, strutted their shoulders in because Arkansas could stare down Texas as could A&M and, and then Oklahoma and Arkansas and the rest could stare down Nebraska. And it could be a real more cohesive league instead. And I'm not, I'm not saying Baylor doesn't have that kind of swag, but, but they really don't. I mean, you're talking no. about a state institution with a lot of power, uh, versus at that point, and huge, uh, bo- huge, huge influential boosters behind them at Arkansas too. Exactly, Frank Broyles, um, it, you know, is a major figure. Baylor. It took a long time before they were successful in the Big Twelve. They were the least successful program for a long time. I think that could have stabilized the region and then maybe pushed a couple other changes there. And of course, the other one's Notre Dame. Had Notre Dame gone to the Big Ten in '99, then then. The Big Ten wouldn't have been looking, um, and schools in the Big 12 would not have realized how unhappy they were uh, because they had the option to leave. I remember when I first started in this business, the because I've always really been into the media aspect, mm-hmm. and I, Iowa State would pull in like $3 million in television dollars. This is in like 2005. Yeah. Three to $5 million and like Texas would be at twenty, mm-hmm. And that was just the way it was. <laughs> Just a wild way how it how it shifted, and you're you're the best at it, though, Scott. I want to get you out of here. I told you I wouldn't take too much of your time. Appreciate you, brother. All right, thanks, Chris. Good coverage. We'll we'll listen to you and Chad later this week. He's Scott Doctorman. Appreciate you, brother. Uh, We'll let him go. I want to thank our friends from Steeple Ridge Bourbon one more time. I still haven't tried this sweet mash rye, but I have a feeling it's a really freaking good one. I bought a bottle of bourbon down in Memphis, too, and it just tasted like crap because it wasn't Steeple Ridge. There you go. How's that for an endorsement? <laughs> Thanks to Aiden Wyatt for producing. Uh, Scott Doctorman, as always, for his contributions to today's show. Hope you guys learned something. We'll be back next week here on the CW Pod on Iowa Everywhere. Iowa Everywhere.